that? The money measure. The money measure. We're going to be looking at tonight the money measure. Now, does anybody here have a grandma? A nana? I don't know what you call them. If some Italians call them nonna. I have a nana and she is awesome. And my nana lives in Melbourne. And so obviously we know Melbourne is a far, far away, as a land far, far away. But I have great memories of my childhood staying at my nana's house in Melbourne. Does anyone here have a grumpy nana or a happy nana? Happy, happy nana, good. No one wants a grumpy nana. We all want happy nana, right? But my nana in Melbourne is a legend. And so I have many memories from my, my, my nanas in Melbourne. And one of, one of my favorite, does anyone know what a matchbox is? You know when you like, you push it out and you get matches and whoosh. So my nana, the best way I can describe it is she had a matchbox bed. So it's really weird. So there's a bed, right? Right? You've got a bed and then you pull out the matchbox and there's another bed. It was like a, it wasn't a bunk bed, it was a matchbox bed. So um, Noah, can I borrow you? Sleep down here. Right? So, welcome to my Nana in Melbourne's matchbox bed. So, we're both like this. Right? Thank you, Noah. So, my Nana had this matchbox bed. So, by, when you look in the room, you go, oh, it's a bed. No, 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 no. But wait, there's more. You pull out the side and there's another bed. It was like a, it's kind of like a double bed in a single bed. But I call it the matchbox bed. Uh, no one following me? So, my Nana in Melbourne had this matchbox bed. And what has this bed got to do with anything? Bedtime. So when it would come to bedtime, one of my best memories from my nana would be story time before you go to bed. So she would, my nana um, would pull up a little chair by, so picture you are all about to go to sleep. Twinkle, twinkle. No, so you're about to go to sleep. You're in your, your matchbox bed. And my nana's sitting here and she'll start telling us stories from her childhood. So a little bit of context, my nana's Italian and she, she travelled by boat from Italy to Australia and she came to Australia and couldn't speak English. So, um, and then she's had to learn how to speak English since living in Australia. But she, and she would tell stories from her childhood and, they would be, and every year we'd get the same stories. It'd be the same stories from her auntie, from her, what she did with her sisters. Every year it was the same stories but I just, and the stories weren't even really that good but I just love hearing these stories from my nana and her childhood. And then, then what she would do is, my dad's got seven siblings. That's a lot of siblings. And when each sibling has four kids, that's a lot of kids, right? So I've got a few cousins. But then she'd, so she'd finish telling her stories, then she'd go into prayer time. And so she'd be like, God, I pray for Vince and Peter. And I pray for her, their kids, Gemma, Tim, Ben, and Monique. Then she'd go to the next one. God, we pray for Marie and Dale. And we pray for her kids, Nathan and Enya. Then the next one, God, we pray for Pep and Jen. And we pray for Matthew. We pray for Luke. And we pray for Emily. Then we'd go to the next one. God, we pray for Rob and Pauline. And we pray for her, their kids, Joshua, Mariah, Carmel, and Liana. And she'd go through all of, the, all of the siblings, all of the grandkids. And she wouldn't just pray their names. But then she'd be like, God, we pray that you bless their family. God, we pray that you give them good jobs. And she'd and it'd be like, it'd be crazy. But their memories I loved from my nana as a grandkid, right? And why? Because my nana could tell great stories. But I know another great storyteller, 
and his name is Jesus. And so when you read the Bible, when you read about Jesus, he is honestly one of the best storytellers you ever hear. My nana was good, but Jesus is better. And so one of the, the great stories that Jesus tells in the Bible is found in the book of Luke. Can everybody say Luke? Luke? And then chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And so um, first of all, we're going to read that. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25, we'll start there. And so this is known as the most important commandment. And sometimes in other... Tr- books of the Bible, it's referred to as a golden rule, right? So it says this, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So that means what do I need to do to go to heaven? Who wants to go to heaven in this place? That's a good question to ask. How do I get to heaven? This religious leader said, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? Tell me straight, right? Continuing on, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's the golden rule? Do unto others what you want them to do to you, right? And so how do we, how do we get to heaven? We love God and we love people. Pretty self-explanatory. But then this, this, um, uh, this we continue reading, right, Jesus told him, uh, do this and you'll live. So that's what Jesus said. And then the man wanted to justify his actions because he wasn't loving people the way he wanted to be loved and says, um, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, well, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus tells a story, all right? So the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is anyone familiar with that, that name? The parable of the Good Samaritan. So now, from, continuing on, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Can everybody say money? Money. Money. He handed him some money and said, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. When we pray, we want to block out distractions. So I encourage you to maybe close your eyes and we're going to tune into God right now. So God, right now, we thank you that your word is alive, that it can speak to each individual one of us, that you're going to speak to us what we need to hear, what we need to apply. And God, we just thank you so much that you are relevant, that you are needed in our day today, just as much as people needed you 2,000 years ago, and that ultimately we can live in heaven with you because we just did what was right. And we all said, yeah, boy. So, what is a neighbor? What is a neighbor? That's a good question, yeah? What is a neighbor? And so Jesus has asked this question, and we, we, why was he asked this question? It was 
reason why do we want a neighbor is because he was trying to find out how do I get to heaven. So Jesus asked the question, what is a neighbor? And so, because we're wanting to figure out how do I get to heaven. And Jesus then tells a story to get to heaven is to be a neighbor. That's pretty bit weird, but Jesus tells a story about a neighbor because it explains how we get to heaven. So if we want to get to heaven, we've got to be a neighbor. Well, I might be confusing, but that's what makes sense. So if we want to get to heaven, we've got to learn how to be a neighbor. That's what we've just read in, in that story from Jesus. And so what is a neighbor? A person who has eternal life, a person who gets to heaven. The neighbor in this story is a person that ends up in heaven. And so I want to be a neighbor if that gets me in heaven. Do I have a witness in this place? If, I, if being a neighbor gets me in heaven, I want to be a neighbor. And so um, why is a neighbor going to heaven? Is it because they look and act religious? No. Good answer, Sean. Being religious, looking religious does not get us into heaven. And I want to break that down. So in this story, we see Jews and we see Samaritans, right? And you may not understand the difference between a Jew and Samaritan. Does anyone here support the Adelaide Crows football club? Does anybody then on the opposite support the Port Adelaide Football Club? Oh, so we've got a divided room here. So we, we see this with Crows and with Port Adelaide, there is conflict, yes? Yes. Oh, there we go. The computer made some sounds for us. So the, Crow, the Crows and the Port Adelaide are cross-town rivals, yes? And there's some beef in the room when there's a showdown on town, yes? That's the one time South Australia gets a bit bit punchy with each other when there's a showdown, Crows versus Port Adelaide. And in the same way, there was a cross-town rivalry. There was a rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't get along. Why? Because each team thought they were better. I'm going to break this down a little bit more. So the Jews are very religious, very righteous, and they do everything right. They're God's holy people. Okay, that's what we're going to say. So that's what the Jews are. And then the Samaritans... um, have the same ancestry, they're actually like blood related, but are hated by the Jews. Why is this? So long story short, the Jews get taken out of Israel and put in Babylon. So they get exiled because the king goes, oh, good land, Um, we're going to take over Israel now. Um, And what does the king do? He's smart. He gets all the smart, strong, all the the top class people says, you know what, you're coming to Babylon with me and all the duds, you can stay where you are, right? So that's what happens. So all the top talented, it'd be just like going, um, who's the best players in your football team? Let's take them to the Crows and you can keep the dud players in your league. And you're like, you've just, you've just, right, just wrecked our team. Thanks, Crows. But that's kind of what happens. This king goes, you know what, we're taking the best and you can keep the duds. And then because the duds remained, they started to compromise the way they lived. They didn't hold to the true Jewish patterns, and so they still believed in God, but it wasn't to the level that the Jews would say was acceptable. So I'll, I'll explain it like this. I'm Australian. Who's Australian in this place? I'm Australian, but my ancestry or my heritage is Italian and German. So my dad's Italian, Santo Stefano. My mum's German, the, this awesome body shape, right? So... <laughs> But so here's the thing, right? So I'm half German, I'm half Italian. I'm too Italian to be German, but I'm too German to be Italian. Does that make sense in this place? So I'm a mixture. I I can't be Italian, I can't be German, I'm Australian. But when it comes to my heritage, I can't fully fit in either or because I'm a both. 
And that's where the Samaritans came in. They were like Josh. They, were, they, they believed in God, but because of their the, um, compromise, they were no longer Jewish. They still believed in God, but they weren't religious enough to be a Jew. So that's kind of this hatred. And because of this, the Jews held such a high standard. They were like, you know what, Samaritans? Nah, you aren't at our level like you little crummy, whatever, you know what I mean? That's kind of the level it was. It was just like, you're, get out of here, like scatter along you little peasant, kind of. That was, that was where they were at. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans because they're like, nah, you're not at our level. We're, we're too good for you. And so um, Jesus tells this story about a guy half dead. We see that. There's a dude who was, had his clothes stripped. No one wants to see that. Don't imagine that. Dude had his clothes stripped, half dead, beaten, right? Just laying there. Noah, can you be a half dead, beaten guy for me? But keep your clothes not stripped. So Noah here is half dead, beaten. Now, for the Jews, if you go in your Bible, there's a book called Numbers. That reminds me of a Christian pickup line. Who wants to hear that, that pickup line? I was reading that book of Numbers last night, and I noticed yours wasn't in there. But so, so there's a book in the book of Numbers, in the book of Leviticus, right there, the laws of Moses. We learn about all of the requirements to be a Jew and before like Jesus came, right? And so if you touched a dead person, that would mean you're unclean. Can somebody say unclean? unclean. Now that doesn't mean you didn't have a shower. Unclean meant you were no longer holy. It meant you could no longer participate for, a, for maybe a week or so in the religious duties of the day. So we see in this story, it said a priest and a temple assistant walked past this half-dead man and kept on walking. Now, I've heard a lot of messages from this good Samaritan. They say, maybe they were busy, maybe. But really, when it comes to what Jesus was saying is, because he was half-dead, they couldn't tell if he was really dead or not. But if they touched him, if they touched a dead man, they would be unclean and no longer religious. They wouldn't be meeting their religious expectations. So to do the right thing, to be able to keep going to the temple and serving, they couldn't afford to touch a dead person. So what we, it's, Jesus says in this story, just because you're being religious and doing the right things doesn't actually mean you're doing the right thing. Does that make sense? He's saying it's better to actually care for someone than hold your pedigree and go, you know what, I'm obeying the law. I can serve in the temple because I didn't touch a dead person because it's actually about loving people more than it is about being religious, right? So being religious doesn't get us to heaven. That's what we've learned. And so if we continue on, um, the, the, so the, yeah. So Jesus is clearly not saying being religious gets us to heaven. The Jews did that and they did what was right, but it was still wrong. And so the Samaritan sees a half-dead man and makes the dead man's pain his pain. He goes, you know what, I have compassion on you dead, Noah. I, I see that it's awkward that you don't have any clothes on. I'm going to put some clothes on you. I see that you've got some cuts. I'm going to help you because I love God enough but I'm not so stuck to rules and religion that I can actually help you where you need your help, right? So then um, the, the um, and, and so a way we could see, uh, a way that we could describe this would be, it would be like, so the Samaritan sees the half-dead man, makes his pain his pain, his pain, the, the dead man, dying man's pain, his pain, he goes, you know what? I'm going to help you out. And he used initiative. He says, you know what? I don't just... I don't just walk past and go, oh, well, no, I'm going to take ownership 
of this guy's situation and I'm going to make the difference because I have the initiative to see it change. And so it, a way I could describe it would be if you're a little kid watching the AFL or you could, you could use it for any sport and then you go, you know, I'm supporting the Crows, right? You'd be like, I want to play for the Crows when I grow up. And then you get to the draft and Port Adelaide draft you. You'd be like spewing. Who, who, who understands that? If there's a team that you absolutely love and then there's a team that you absolutely hate, you get to the top of that sport field, you get drafted by the team you hate, that would be offensive. Amen? We want to be unoffendable, but that would be offensive. No one wants that. I don't wish that on anyone. If, if you support Port Adelaide and you get drafted by Crows, that sucks. Yes? And so, but Jesus in this story is offending the Jews because he's saying that. He says, you know what? You've grown up to be a good Jew and hate Samaritans, and now the Samaritan's a hero. That, that's, what Jesus, that's the tension that Jesus is saying in this story. But initiative of the Samaritan is a product of faith. And so someone, some people here may be familiar with Romans chapter 1, 2, 3. Anyone familiar with that? Romans chapter 12, verse 3, what's it say? Do we have it on the screen? Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. And so what do we do? We've got to measure ourselves by the faith God has given us. And so each one in this building, Toyin, Noah, Josh, Pete, Jasmine, Alana, all of us in this room, God has given us a faith and we've got to measure ourselves by the faith God has given you. And so the Samaritan had a faith in his life to go, you know what? Um, I can help someone in need. I can use the initiative and ownership to help this person in life. And so um, the Samaritans, um, and so why is a neighbor going to heaven? Is because the neighbor has faith. The neighbor had faith and initiative and ownership. And so the Samaritan's faith was reflected in his initiative. The Samaritan took ownership of the issue and invested his money. And so what it says there, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. So this story tells me that, um, that noticing an issue means nothing. Anyone can see an issue. What matters is um, encountered is faith which causes initiative and ownership. And so what, what's the number way of measuring your faith? Your money. That, that's what we learned here. The best way you can measure if you have faith active in your life is your money. That Samaritan had an active faith where he says, I can actually do something in this world, and it was reflected in his money because he didn't just go, here, innkeeper, I've noticed an issue. It's your problem. He goes, you know what? That problem is now my problem, and my money is a measurement of my faith. Does, that, does someone understand that in this place? And so last power night, we had a guest speaker, Andy, yes? And so his senior pastor, David Hall, says this, I have never met a person with big faith that doesn't tithe. And so we're not going to get fully into the tithe, but you've got to understand, if you want to have big faith, the best way to measure your faith level is in what you do with your money, right? And so that's why it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Wherever your treasure is, wherever your money is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so that, that Samaritan saw a dead beaten guy. He goes, you know what? I take ownership of that person. My heart is there and therefore his treasure followed that as well. Does that make sense in this place? 
And so what's the money used for? To help half-dead people be restored. And so we believe as Christians that we're either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. And so there's people right now on our planet in Port Lincoln that are spiritually speaking half dead on the side of the road that are going to hell. But we as Christians go, you know what? We are that Samaritan that has the faith to see them be restored and be bandaged, meet Jesus, that they can live like that. Does that make sense? That's what this story is ultimately portraying, that there's half dead people all around us that are on their way to hell. But we as a good Samaritan can actually say, you know what? We're going to bandage you up, heal you, and help you be alive again for Jesus. Yes? And so the, um, the Samaritan had an inn. Right? He took this half-dead guy to an inn. We have a church. We have a youth ministry. The Samaritan had an inn. We have the church. And so where did the Samaritan put his money? In the inn. Because the inn was a place to help dead people come back to life. And that's the same for us. We have a church. We have a youth ministry where we put our money to see dead people come back to life, to see people that are dead spiritually come alive supernaturally in the things of God. Does that make sense in this place? And so... Um, as a youth ministry, I just want to briefly share some things that we do, and, and I want to encourage you to, because as I said, your money is a measure of your faith. If you want to know how, how big your faith is, you measure it by where your money is. So, Leanne, if you can just get me the whiteboard, and we're going to just quickly break down some things on how we can measure our faith and our money. And so, as a youth ministry, who, who loves going to Youth Life Conference? I love it, right? And I and we as a youth ministry, you may not know this, ever since I've been the youth leader, we've given 10% of our offerings to Youth Alive. And I believe the more our, our money we give to Youth Alive grows, the more better things Youth Alive will be able to do. And you know what we can say, like that Good Samaritan? I did that. When we see our, our schools get saved, when we see cool things happen from, 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 the, from supernatural things, we can say, you know what? I had initiative, I put my money in that and look what we're seeing is happening. And I believe that we can have that testimony, that ownership to go, you know what, we sowed our money, we did what we could and see God do breakthroughs. And so um, we're going to just see a video quickly now for Lock of Love. Please, Amy. Be blessed. What's up, students and youth pastors? Here at Schools Revolution, we have a fresh new initiative called Locker Love. Check it out. Our aim for this initiative is to see students all across Australia rise up and show love being unlocked through their school. You can be a part of it. But how? Grab some friends, grab a bag, put some snacks, put some drinks, put some encouragement, grab some promo for your youth, chuck it in a bag and chuck it in someone's locker. I don't know about you, but I think it's about time to see another revolution occur in our schools. Will you rise up and be a part of the revolution to see love unlocked? Wow. If you were at school, how would you like to receive a party bag with some prizes in it? Twin, how would you like to receive your favourite lollies placed in that thing? Some Pokemon Go, like, trades? Nah. But who, who, who would like to receive something like that? I don't know about you. I'd love to be able to go to school and go, favour? Like, how did this end there? But we, as a youth ministry, we could do that. We could actually go, you know what? For my class, we're going to show some love, not to get anything in return, just to say, you're valued by God. There's people in Port Lincoln that think you're awesome, and here's a present, right? But then, if we were to use the offerings that we get weekly basis, we're lucky to get $25, right? 
So if you think about that, if you have 25 kids in your class, we could spend $1 on the kids in your class. That sucks, right? So, but imagine if we were getting, say, like, I don't, like we could imagine how big of a number, if we were to invest into our youth ministry, we could say, you know what? We could, we could spare $30 a kid. Imagine that, you give a brand new jumper, whatever the things are, but we, we could do that, but it comes by a youth ministry that has faith to go, you know what? I have the initiative and I'm going to invest my money into the inn, into the kingdom of God to see us do things that greater show love to our community, right? So I want, we've got about 30 people in the room right now. So I just want to break this down. So if we have 30 people in the room, so 30 people, boom. Now, I worked some of this mass out back in January, so it's subject to change. Please don't tell me off if it's really wrong. But so an average age of a youth is 16, right? So some of us are 12 in this place, yes? Some of us are 18 in this place, yes? No, no, 18, it's 19. 18, yep. But so if we average our age, 16. Amen? 16 is the middle age. The average hourly wage of a 16-year-old is $8.50. That's the average hourly wage of a 16-year-old. The av- then the average hours worked a week is 18 hours. So then they work 18 hours which means that's a weekly income of $153. Boom. Who would like that money each week? Anyone in this place? So, right, so $153. Now, if we then apply the principle, Liana, if we then, so if you're 16, you earn 850, Liana, if you earn 850 an hour, for 18 hours, you have $153. Does that make sense, Liana? Are you sure that's correct? Tricked ya. No, that's correct. It's correct. So if you're making $153, if you gave 10% of that to your youth ministry, that would be $15.30 a week. Wow, look at that. I'm a mathematician. And then if we had 30 of us giving us $15.30 a week, how much do you think that is weekly income? $159, a dollar short of $500. I'll put in the $1, right? Boom. If we were, we're lucky to get that money over like, we're lucky over a three-month period. Imagine if we were doing that on a weekly period, we could easily go, you know what, we're going to bless our schools with some locker love. Another initiative, right, as a church, each year, um, I don't know if anyone saw on Facebook, the, what do you call it, the, um, the food bank truck came to help people in Pauline that can't buy food, get affordable food. Each year as a church, we buy these food pack thingies for Christmas hampers for those for Christmas that are struggling for money to have food for Christmas, right? And so they cost about $50 each. If, if we were able to give $15.30 individually each week, to, we could go in one week, we've bought five families at the youth ministry um, a Christmas hamper. There's so many, and the, the sky's the limit of what we can do, but it comes as a youth ministry to go, you know what, I have initiative, I have ownership of my youth ministry, and I have faith to see people blessed, but it starts by us as an individual getting a revelation from God to, to see that blessing. And so as I said before, the um, faith is measured by ownership, which is measured by our money. And so if you want to see how how big your faith really is in God, look to where your money's going. And I want to encourage you to seek God and, and go, you know what, God, I want to see God do something powerful in my life, start investing into the kingdom of God. And I'll finish on this. Who's ever paid to come to youth? 
No one has, exactly. No one's paid to come to youth because we want to put things on for free. But the way things get better is by us investing into this youth ministry. You know what? We're going to put our money in. And I, as a church, we've got one priority coming up. I believe that as a youth ministry, we could be some of the biggest investors into that. And naturally, it makes no sense. We've got the smallest incomes, but I believe that we can have the faith to see breakthroughs happen. I love Bernard hosting at church the other week. Who remembers meeting in trees? None of us here were ever meted in trees because we've had a church that have put money, that have had the faith to build a building that we don't have to be in the freezing cold outside going, we can be here nice and warm, sweated up, playing gaga ball because people had the faith for us, right? But I, as a youth ministry, want to be in a position where we have the faith that we can buy stuff for the church rather than just getting everything from the church. The church pays our electricity bills. We don't have to pay for any of this. I want to be in a place where we can start blessing the church and be fruitful for the church because they've been so good to us. Does that make sense? But it starts by us getting a revelation on the measure of money.